Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. episode of Concussion Chats podcast. Uh, my name is Taya. Uh, Concussion Chats is a podcast hosted by the McGill students for the Concussion Legacy Foundation with the help of Nick from Concussion Talk podcast. We're dedicated to providing hope and strength to those suffering from concussions through sharing experiences. Today I have a recording of guest speaker Claudia. Claudia is a human resources professional, diversity and inclusive advocate, longtime volunteer in the Montreal community, and a concussion survivor. In the process of returning to work, she's been faced with some challenges, but has also learned something about reasonable accommodations and disclosure of a medical condition. She hopes others could benefit from her experience. And while it is still an ongoing learning experience for her as well, she's equally interested in the feedback and opinions of others. Thank you, Taya, for the introduction, and yes, welcome to this presentation. Thank you to the, uh, the Montreal uh, Concussion Support Group to, to um, accept my offer to present. Um, and as you uh, summarized very well, I'm not an expert. Um, and yes, I have experience as a human resource professional uh, with regards to disability management. At the end of the day, I did not know um, the ordeal uh, until I was um, in that position where I had to request reasonable accommodation. Um, so I hope that this brief presentation is um, beneficial and I look forward to your questions and uh, the open discussion afterwards. Um, so the process is I have a, a general um, presentation that I'm gonna go through. And um, if you have any questions, I would just ask if you can please hold the questions for after the presentation. So today's agenda, um, I'm just going to briefly discuss my experience uh, returning to work. Um, the beginning of um, the process returning to the workforce in the event that you're currently um, unemployed or on medical leave, as was my case uh, three months ago, um, and you're entering the workforce um, and not returning to a pre-existing employee. Um, and then we'll discuss the disclosure of a disability or functional limitation, as well as your employer's entitlement and their rights, um, and also their limitations as to what they can request from you. Um, the job accommodations, and these are general job accommodations. They could be applied for other disabilities, but I did uh, in my research try to filter it so that it's relevant and applicable for uh, us concussion. Uh, survivors, as well as I mentioned, um, questions and open discussion afterwards. So uh, with regards to my return to work, um, my life changing event occurred approximately one year ago. So on January 11, 2020, and I am living proof that concussions take place while undergoing mundane household chores and not exclusively on the field or in the workplace. What was supposed to be a mundane house tour marked a turning point in my life as the patio door made direct contact with my head. Immediately after the head uh, collision, I felt lightheaded and disoriented, not having lost 
consciousness, I did not consider the possibility of a concussion. I later realized was a myth. After two weeks of resuming my regular work without accommodation, I began to question why I was experiencing further symptoms, such as light and noise sensitivity, and sought out medical evaluation with my general practitioner. Following a series of questions, he referred me to the neurologist, and following his physical examination and a series of his questions, confirmed what my general practitioner had suspected, which was post-concussion uh, syndrome. Given that on that date of my consultation, I was experiencing symptoms for more than four continuous weeks. During my seven month leave, I consulted a number of health professionals, physiotherapist, osteopath, massage therapist, a naturopath, neuropsychologist, VP counselor, occupational therapist, and uh, an optometrist in that order. And twice a week or weekly sessions converted into monthly or less frequent sessions. My therapist noticed a progress in my recovery and collectively with my general practitioner and occupational therapist, we mutually agreed to a gradual return to work, starting with halftime and alternative days, uh, alternate days for a period of five weeks before resuming full-time employment. Before resuming work, my therapist uh, and I developed a structured program to assist with the transition to work. So two months prior to my return, I gradually practiced working at my computer, resumed my bedtime ritual as if it were a work night, resumed driving to appointments, visited public settings such as grocery stores and gathered in small social events with the intent to assess my response to stimulation. My transition to work wasn't textbook per se. It was an adaptation for both my employer and I in terms of modified workload, but also because I was experiencing a resurgence of symptoms, the top two being fatigue and behavioral problems. So, anxiety, irritability, et cetera. Um, I refer to it as setback. That's how I labeled it until I consulted with my occupational therapist and she reminded me that it was normal based on her research and her consultation with her clientele and that I had to manage my activity levels to remain below my symptoms threshold. For instance, um, to conduct higher cognitive functions in the morning and more routine, lower cognitive functions in the afternoon. And the same applies to your home environment. For instance, errands, cooking you recipes, event planning, attending appointments, et cetera, in the morning with laundry and routine housework in the afternoon. And the strategy was to maintain a sustainable balance rather than overextending myself and experiencing an energy crash or deficit that was challenging to recover or rebound from. Unrelated to the COVID-19 workplace regulations and the health and safety measures, my occupational therapist had initially recommended that my gradual return to work begin with remote work. So telework was an adjustment for me for many reasons, um, but Setting an ergonomic workstation helped with mitigating the tension pressure headaches and the strained and dry uh, eyesight. So the following list um, includes ergonomic products used in my home office. So this is the textbook of a correct sitting posture. And I know we take it for granted, um, but with regards to my home workstation, I did follow multiple of these um, recommendations. So the top of my monitor is at eye level. Um, mind you, I do have also multiple laptops, um, but the stationed desktop is um, according to my eye level. Then of course I have a footrest and I don't necessarily have the most uh, ergo-friendly chair at this point. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, that's in the works, but I do have um, other um, products that have helped me. And so I've listed them for you. And basically um, my work as uh, Ty mentioned is I'm a human uh, resource professional. So it's an office administration position in other words. And so I have to sit for seven to eight hours 
per day. So for sitting, for instance, was a main challenge for me and it continues to be. So um, lumbar support cushion was one of the items. You can just get any regular pillow, ergonomic chair, which is still on my uh, bucket list. Um, an adjustable height workstation. Um, my husband has one of those um, adjustable um, desks, those um, desks that um, are um, adjustable, for lack of a better term. Um, but for my laptops, for instance, um, I'll use a monitor riser. And then of course my footrest. Um, for my notebook computer, I'll connect to a full-size monitor. I'll use a monitor riser, uh, an alternative keyboard, um, so that I could remain with a 90 degree arm uh, position, a wrist and a forearm rest. And uh, what continues to be my main challenge, the eye strain and the fatigue, um, there are anti-glare filters. I, on my phone and all my other devices, I just use what's already embedded. So anything that's blue light uh, mode, but I know there's an F-flex and of course we can discuss uh, later um, in different types of um, applications as well. Um, I'm not, um, an expert just yet, but I do set an alarm uh, to remind me every hour to reposition my posture. And I tend to take um, recovery pauses. So basically I'll just, and I don't know if everyone knows um, the palming um, method, but I basically just close my eyes um, and I rest them in my palms for a few minutes um, once I'm completed one of my tasks, um, just to reset my eyesight. Now, with for multiple reasons, um, and they have the intention to return to the workforce. So with regards to disclosing a disability, it may be a consideration when starting a new employment, transitioning from school or another employer, or as I mentioned, uh, unemployment or uh, retaining employment after acquiring a disability. So basically in my case, which I had to return to a pre-existing employer and I had to disclose my disability. Uh, disabilities are generally disclosed in the workplace when a request for reasonable accommodation is required. So that is when there is a workplace barrier that is preventing the employee from performing their function or acquiring equal access to workplace benefits. So for instance, um, getting access to an employee lunchroom or employer parking, uh, for instance. Um, so there are of course uh, general consensus and I wanted to go through three scenarios with you. Uh, the first is disclosing before in an interview, disclosing at an interview, and then as in my case, disclosing to an employer uh, upon a return to work. So scenario one, on those grounds, which I've just um, briefly described, should candidates disclose their disability on an application or an interview? And so I invite you to please type in your answer in the chat box if you have any um, thoughts about that. And Ty, do you, do you mind just reading some of the responses? Yeah, for sure. Thanks. And just let me know if you want me to repeat the question. Uh, yeah, maybe just repeat the question. Okay, so should candidates disclose their disability on an application or in an interview? What do you guys think? Uh, someone said given their past experience, they would not disclose it at this point. Um, another person said no. Okay, wonderful. So the general consensus is that candidates should not disclose their disability on an application or in an interview unless the applicants require accommodation to assist them in the application or the interview process. So for instance, disclose if you have found the job posting through an employment agency that partners employers with hiring candidates with a functional limitation or that you require an accommodation at the interview. So this may not apply to everyone, but we are all complex human beings and we may have multiple disabilities. So for instance, special request for an enclosed space with 
minimal artificial or fluorescent lighting if uh, you're photosensitive. Uh, scenario two, assuming you disclose your disability to an interviewer, how can you position that functional limitation as an advantage? So basically, how can you sell it at that point? Um, once again, please respond in the chat box. We got a lot of answers for the first one just popping up. So a bunch of people said like not at any point um, and that they didn't know that that was the case. Okay, awesome. What about for question two? Yeah. Oh, can you repeat the question? Yeah, of course. Uh, assuming you disclosed your disability to the interviewer, now how can you position yourself at an advantageous point? How can you make reference to your disability in a positive way, in a constructive way, in other words? Uh, you could uh, talk to them about the steps um, you take in to manage the situation, is what someone said. Another person said, letting them know it has allowed you to uh, examine life in a different way. Mm, awesome. Very interesting. Um, um, one more was, it depends on the job, but working in the psychiatric unit, uh, I could have posted as having more empathy and understanding to patients, but I didn't directly disclose anything. Someone else said, uh, talk about what I've learned since the accident. Wonderful. Um, yeah, those are awesome answers. So in the event that you, you, opt, you choose to disclose your limitation to the interviewer, and the interview takes hostage of the interview to ask about your medical condition. One, you can deflect and make reference to your previous work or educational background, and of course, realign it to the um, position that you're applying for. Um, and uh, you can also attest to the transferable skills that you acquired living with a disability. And um, if you disclose it, you can also take the opportunity to educate the interviewer and explain that there should be no interference in your ability to do the occupation. And scenario three, in the case of an existing employee, when would an employee choose to disclose their disability? Please reply in the chat box. So just to recap, we know it's optional, right? Um, it's not mandatory by law, but in the event that we make the, the choice to disclose when would be some of the cases, where would we go ahead and disclose it? Uh, someone said when they need accommodations, someone else said as soon as I needed to have an accommodation. And I would say the same thing, like as soon as like you're realizing that like your work's kind of, uh, struggling um, and an accommodation would make it easier and better. Yeah, awesome. So an employee with a pre-existing disability may choose to disclose their disability when they realize that the accommodation would help them perform their functions. Or if for instance, they're promoted or transferred, then they're newly assigned functions or when a medical conditions become more severe, for instance. And Yes or no question. Uh, can you request an accommodation even if you did not disclose your limitation in the interview or after receiving the job offer? Uh, the answer seems to all be yeses. Awesome. Um, yes, you can request an accommodation anytime during the application process or while you are employed and when making an official request for an accommodation, inform your employer that an adjustment to your work environment and or working conditions is required for medical reasons. 
you may provide them basic information about your condition, your functional limitations, and what accommodations you may need. Um, when granting accommodation, this is applied to me, coworkers and colleagues, especially if you have more than a professional relationship with them, may naturally have questions, but legally they are not entitled to know the reason for the accommodation. Um, depending on the size and structure of the workplace, you may request an accommodation from your manager or your direct supervisor um, or a member of the human resources department or um, if you have a health and safety committee, it depends on the um, workplace, um, it's a case by case. Um, but of course, um, if you have any questions, you can always consult with your HR uh, department. Um, following the accommodation, coworkers and, um, uh, sorry, um, by, so I'm just gonna go to the next slide, I'm trying to multitask here. <laughs> All right, so um, with regards to your employer's rights, so employers cannot explicitly ask you for your medical diagnosis or to even inquire about your treatment. So your employer is legally entitled, however, to ask questions related to your functional limitations that's caused by your health condition. And in some of my research, I've also seen that they may inquire about the prognosis. So they may ask, what um, does your medical practitioner foresee in terms of recovery? Okay. Um, note that not all of the employees request for medical, uh, for medical information must be made uh, with the intention of creating reasonable accommodation. So I, I repeat that. So all of the employer's requests for medical information must be made with the intention for creating reasonable accommodations. So for instance, an employer can inquire about which of your tasks or responsibilities you are having difficulty with, and then consequently, what accommodations are required to assist you in undertaking those tasks and responsibilities. So whether you are employed or seeking employment, uh, you are protected from discrimination under provincial and federal human rights legislation. So we've got the provincial human rights code and at the federal level, there's the Canadian Human Rights Act. Um, and I do believe they also make reference in the Employment Equity Act as well. But basically these legislations, they prohibit discrimination based on a number of grounds, including disability to ensure that there's equal treatment with respect to employment. So to ensure that employment related discrimination does not occur, employers have a duty to accommodate individuals with disabilities by, uh, and I repeat, by modifying their workers' work environment or their working conditions, unless, and of course, there is an exception. Uh, doing so causes the employer undue hardship or when there's a bona fide occupational requirement. So um, accommodation is an undue hardship if it poses unreasonable financial cost or health and safety risk for your other uh, colleagues. Um, of course, this is case by case basis. The onus is on the employer to prove undue hardship. The bona fide occupational requirement is a requirement or a qualification that is essential for the performance of a function. And if deemed a bona fide occupational requirement, Requirement, the employer is not legally required to provide reasonable accommodation to the worker. Note that the duty to accommodate is ongoing and it involves reassessments to ensure that the employer is appropriately and adequately accommodating the worker. So employees and employers must cooperate um, based on my experience, you have to remain open to potential options and collectively explore alternatives through ongoing communication while you continuously reassess your individualized plan for accommodation. So just to repeat, just because you already have an accommodation does not mean that that has to remain permanent and fixed. It needs to be reevaluated depending on your status. Um, now, 
If an employer offers a reasonable option for accommodation, that both addresses the limitation and allows the employee to carry out the essential functions of the job. Okay, keyword is the essential functions of the job. The, and the employee, for one reason or another, rejects it. Then the employer may be absolved of their duty to accommodate. They have now checked off their box. And sorry, just multitasking here again. Uh, a workplace accommodation is a modification in the working environment or the working conditions. I repeat that. Um, and it's really meant to allow a person with limitations to perform their function. So accommodations, which I have a list here, may be temporary, it may be long-term, and of course it depends on the employee's medical condition. Um, employees requesting the accommodation should be both specific and reasonable in their request. Um, and of course, I always, um, when speaking to employers, I mentioned that ask the employee their feedback because they're a wealth of knowledge about their own medical condition and what could be of reasonable accommodation uh, to perform their function. Um, and once again, the request of the accommodation is related to a barrier or limitation. So you want to be specific, you want to identify what the barriers are, what recommendations uh, you would make about an accommodation that could help you remove the barriers. So I do have a list and of course it's not an exhaustive list, but um, some that I thought have been beneficial that I've applied myself um, so we can go through them. Uh, and of course, um, I have no um, problem distributing this presentation if it's of any resource to you so that you can have the job accommodation list for yourself. Um, but there's also a resource list I might add uh, at the end where you can find um, multiple uh, accommodations that could be more suitable for you. So in my case, uh, implement an ergonomic workstation design, uh, which we briefly reviewed, um, schedule strategic, frequent and longer breaks. Uh, strategic, of course, it's really subjective. In my case, it's when I would set my alarm. When that didn't work, it would be right after I completed a task. Um, seek flexible work schedule, if possible. Nowadays with COVID, a lot is possible. I work in the education management uh, system and I did not foresee a day where I could work from home, but anything is possible. Uh, remote working or job restructuring, of course, limiting to your essential functions. At the end of the day, that is what um, is required of you and may be challenging to accommodate. Um, request space enclosures. So, sorry, I'm um, forgetting my term now, but the panels uh, for the cubicles uh, could be an option or a private office, however um, your setup is. Request for written instructions and regular feedback from your employer. That is something that I've um, been known to do. Uh, recently, uh, try to have everything confirmed. Sometimes meetings are not recorded, excuse me, um, nor are there any um, minutes that are taken. So I will ask for a recap in writing. And I have also asked for weekly um, performance evaluations or just ongoing feedback. It doesn't have to be formal whatsoever. Uh, use white noise or environmental sound machines. I have an Alexa and I just ask her to play um, different genres of uh, white noise. Actually, I didn't even know, um, but I was recently introduced to brown noise and pink noise. So um, sometimes I'll just play that in the background. Uh, increase natural lighting. Um, I tend not to use a much uh, artificial light during um, my day. And at night, of course, um, I'll try to avoid uh, TV. I know it sounds very boring, but uh, I'll try to avoid any TV sessions after eight. Hey, um, sorry? Hey, Claudia, I just want to give like a five minute warning. Okay, awesome. I'm just going to wrap up. Um, use computer anti-glare screens. Reduce distractions in the work environment. Uh, that includes desk clutter, 
plan for uninterrupted work time and strategically schedule meetings. So if you're using Teams the way that I do, communicating with uh, um, my colleagues, I'll ensure to set myself busy for a period of time when I'm working on something that requires high concentration. Use external memory aids, notebooks, checklists, computer applications for calendars, alarms, tape recorder. I use all of the above. And I'm just gonna summarize with regards to takeaways, things that I've learned from my experience. So return to work is a process with an emphasis on progress, not perfection. So if you're a perfectionist, you're gonna have to readjust your expectations. It's not a single event. It's a process that may require multiple attempts and that may begin minimum two weeks before re-entering the workplace. Um, accept where you are in the recovery process and set new performance benchmarks rather than comparing your performance to your pre-injury performance. Um, and key is explore new possibilities, potential endeavors, seek new coping mechanisms, develop energy management strategies, uh, practice introspection and set realistic boundaries. Um, and I just wanted to add during my leave, I've also enrolled in online courses um, just to further my studies uh, in any way possible to make us more marketable once we return to the workforce. And this is the list of resources. Um, Job Accommodation Network, Jan, uh, is crucial. It should be on everyone's must list. Brain Injury Canada, Concussion Legacy Foundation, Love Your Brain Foundation, where I was introduced to yoga. Um, which has been very helpful physically and mentally, and of course, concussion compass, but that is a paid service, the membership fee. So um, with that uh, in mind, it is now at the questions and open discussion period. If you have- Thanks, Claudia, for the great talk. Um, today, I have Nick from Concussion Talk Podcast and his co-host, Aaron. Um, who is also the coordinator for the Newfoundland and Labrador Brain Injury Association, joining me. Um, so some of the questions that people had for uh, Claudia afterwards were just kind of like um, how to handle like uh, a situation where like your employer doesn't respect your accommodations, even though like your doctor has clearly outlined like what's wrong like why you need your accommodations and kind of went above and beyond um and we just kind of talked about how like they have to reasonably accommodate you unless there's like a real justification um yeah yeah i think a lot of that too comes into play with the fact that not every business is going to have an hr department either like your mm -hmm. hr rep is your like number one advocate and the disability kind yeah. of cases and if your company doesn't have one you're kind of left on your own and feel isolated i think we should also mention That's, that this is uh, even she was she was she canadian this is only this the, the rules the laws she was saying apply our canadian laws and stuff so if you're american or british or wherever and else and also world then they may be slightly slightly different although in yeah. most countries they're very similar I think. Yeah, and the person that actually brought up that question was someone in the States. Okay. Um, so she was like, I really don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I never thought about the fact that, like, not every job has, like, an HR, uh, like, department. Because the next question that someone brought up was, like, what do you do when HR is the one being challenging? Like, um, when HR doesn't want to respect your accommodations or um, your disability and... Uh, yeah, I would yeah. think that's less of an issue now, wouldn't it? Like these, well, yeah. nowadays with COVID, as well. The, but I mean, the, I know Aaron. The one person was saying they had like quite a bit of difficulty with HR. I think it all depends on the company's training of whoever is there and like how reason yeah. that HR person has gone into the role. So I think when HR isn't being your ally, your next best bet through my experience in working here would be to go to uh, the nonprofit and community sector. There's disability networks in almost every place, like reach mm -hmm. out to them and see how they can advocate on your behalf because that's what we're here for. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I, was, I was mentioning before the half jokingly now that, you know, if you're going to get a concussion, now is the best time to get one because it's 2020 
and kill, kill time to one now with COVID and stuff, and you can work from home with smart accommodations. So, like, I know when I was, you know, I was still in, two, in the 2000s, I was in Bainter, but like, even like even 10 years ago, or, le- or le- less than 10 years ago, nine, even like nine years or eight years ago, was less than probably five, less like opportunity to work, opportunity to work from home or to have like, these certain accommodations and stuff. So. I mean, I know it sounds sounds a bit crass to say, like, you know, if you have a concussion, have it now. But, like, you know, you know what I mean? No, you're just trying to think yeah. of, like, a positive yeah. of COVID. Exactly. Thing, you know? yeah. Trying to find something, even though working on the screen probably wouldn't be ideal. But um, I think the way that she, like, was talking about, like, training to go back to work um, and how, like, her, I think it was her occupational therapist or her therapist, um, kind of like had her like gradually, um, like increasing her activities and practicing the things that would like happen, like in a work week and stuff. I think that was really cool. Um, that like, it was actually applicable and like, she actually like did it obviously. Um, cause I mean, for returning to sport, it's like, like not like that at all like you just kind of like oh you don't have symptoms anymore <laughs> you're back in everything's fine um but yeah. i think that uh that set up for it one thing i would really... say about return to sport and return to work is is that it's, it's like definitely... well like return to return to sport there's more like oh you know assuming if you've followed the, the right procedures and everything it's gradually back to playing of the sport as you knew it whereas getting back to work it's always like so these accommodations, which are great because they're accommodations so you can work when you don't fill up board and stuff, or you can, but there's also more stuff. There's just more, it's not, it's not, it's not it doesn't simplify your life at all. If you have all these accommodations and you have to, you know, I know, I know that's the result of brain trade a lot of yeah. times too, but also if you have all these, all these like different like things you have to take a break and every now set a timer and, and and have this device next to you and have this device and stuff. It just makes it a lot more complicated. That a yeah, lot more. Definitely. It, it definitely does not simple, simplify your life. So it's another issue that's also going to wait. Going to probably be, I don't know. I don't know if it increase your increase your symptoms, but I wouldn't think it would ease them if you got to yeah. always be doing and extra think- extra stuff. To and even yourself. like having to go through like the steps of like obtaining the accommodations like i feel like that would be very like symptom inducing in itself like having to like advocate for yourself and like convince employers hr and stuff that you need these accommodations and stuff like that and getting all the appropriate documentation like that would definitely be really difficult um and uh another thing that like we did talk about was um like when do you bring these issues up um and uh like how do you decide what you should tell um the employer um and like the general consensus like in the group was just kind of like um if they need to know because it's like negatively affecting your work or um it's making your job harder or you're not performing like as you should be then like tell them but only disclose as much as like people need to know like on like a need to know basis that's a judgment um, call too though yeah and that's kind I would of think what... being being just being honest is like i mean that's as soon as if you're okay with the with being honest but if people i know people have a thing about like telling their employer don't want their employer to know everything but, but you know that yeah. or that sort of attitude but like if you're just honest and they'll take a lot take away a lot of anxiety i would think about what should i tell them or how much I tell them just if you just straight up straight up with them right away. Uh, of course, now I'll go don't say then people don't understand that, but uh, that's also that's it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. They, they don't have experience with people not understanding that or not yeah. wanting to wanting to not necessarily understand it, but wanting to understand it. Like, like I guess I've been lucky, very lucky that way. But mm-hmm. anyway, Aaron. I thought I thought Aaron I thought you were high. you were moving your microphone. I thought you had oh. something to say earlier. <laughs> okay. Um, another thing that we were talking about was like, uh, like I mean earlier in the talk, like Claudia had talked about, um, like 
whether it was good to tell them in your interview or not. And like the consensus was no. And, um, and then someone was curious, like what would be a situation where like it could be a positive to disclose it, which like, um, it was kind of something that we all like talked about and said, like, there's really not many positives to disclosing it first, because like if it's in the interview and you're, and you tell them, um, it's, hard because you can't um like know if they like you don't have any proof that they didn't hire you because of your disability um because yeah it's against the law but you have no proof of that um and uh there's certain cases like claudia mentioned um if you were working with like an employment agency to like find the job apply for the job or need accommodations at the interview um and then i provided uh an example of like myself, I, when I was applying for my uh, internship that I'm currently doing, um, it's working with uh, children with like learning disabilities. Um, and so I brought up like my own experience because they asked kind of like, why would I be good at this? And so I brought up like um, my brother who has uh, learning difficulties also, and then I brought up myself. Um, and then after the interview, I was like, oh, my God, why did I do that? I totally should have shut up. Like, I'm not going to get it now. And then I got it, which, thank God. But yeah. I think that, like, being able to have that experience helped in that situation. Yeah, so no, just, you're like, deciding with yourself, you know. Your lived experience is an asset. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, like, if it can be applicable and an asset for, like, the job or whatever you're doing, then I feel like disclose it but make it in like positive way i kind of think it like again maybe naive but the you know being honest like just just being so now then at least it's like if they don't hire then they don't hire and that sucks and everything i know people they need jobs to you know live and stuff to make money to live but like also you you can only do it to yourself so if you're if it's going to cause your anxiety, if, I don't know if they didn't hire me because I have a disability or if they hired me because I have a disability, then it doesn't matter as long as you just say, like, like I, I'm, this is going to affect my work probably because I'm, I'm having a concussion and I need more rest or I have trouble staring at a screen for a long time or sounds or whatever, then then at least, like, that's up front. You don't have to worry about wonder, wonder if they know or if they think or if they think I'm being lazy or if they think I'm just sleeping or just being delinquent then at least mm-hmm. like then they know and then you don't have to worry about it because you've told them but again now uh, that's again probably naive but yeah still. I think it's a little naive yeah <laughs> what about there's, you Aaron there's another layer of it too I think like when you add in the fact that um someone's disability can either be invisible or visible when your disability is invisible, it's a lot harder to like say, Hey, this is happening to me. And for someone to believe you, cause like if they can't see it, a lot of times people assume it's not there. This happens in like handicapped parking spaces where someone doesn't see a person like in a wheelchair or limping. They're like, why are you there? Like, why did you get the spot? Yeah. And you have to be like, my disability is not something you can visibly see. And, like, I think that's a really sad part of our society is that, like, oh, you're only disabled if I can tell you are. And it's, like, that's not true. There's so many more different aspects. And, like, you might just not be believed, which I think is something that we really have to fight against and advocate for on the fact of brain injury survivors, where many of them are left with the cognitive, Mm non-visible parts. Yeah. That's That's true. Yeah, the visible versus invisible is definitely a whole other layer of it. Um, I think the other thing I was thinking about, I'm not sure if you guys talked about it afterwards, but um, if your injury happened at work itself and you're going back, that could be very traumatizing too. Mm -hmm. And like that could be another layer of like trying to reintegrate into your workplace again. If you were a nurse, for example, and got hit by a patient, you might have a lot of like PTSD or anxiety going into a patient room again. And it's like, how do you address that? How does your workplace deal with that? Like all those kind of layers. That's yeah, that's super true. I didn't even think about like um, like workplace and like returning to the same place. 
Um, that's a good point for sure. So that's that's a, kind of what you were saying earlier about the HR department. Like, if a strong HR department or a strong management, these that should be, you know, if it's strong, this will be addressed. But no, if it's, you know, I mean, if it's the something they should definitely bring up with them. With I would think, you know, not an employment counselor or yeah, I don't that. know. But so you know, <laughs> so you know, but uh, I would think if it's a strong HR department, then they mm -hmm. should address that or strike yeah. that's a strong measurement. But uh, yeah, and it's definitely ensuring that your workplace is going to put in safeguards to make sure that doesn't happen to anyone else or to you again, kind of thing. Because yeah. if you go back into a situation where you can get re-injured, that's not safe for anyone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, another question that, like, someone had brought up was just kind of, like, how do you juggle, like, all of these issues and maintain, like, a relationship with the company, especially, like, if it's a smaller company um, and they want to understand, they want to help, um, and... Uh, and Claudia just kind of mentioned that like she was kind of like thinking about uh, just larger car corporations because like that's usually what she's yeah. worked with. Yeah. Um, but she said uh, she's also done a lot of like family ones and they have like their own challenges too. But like the key is to just kind of try and educate the employer um, on like disabilities and accommodations to the best of your ability and um, disclose to like your colleagues at your discretion like if you're going to be working closely with someone like tell them so they kind of know um, and like let people know that like it doesn't mean that you can't do your job um, and reconfirm to them that you are functional you can perform the essential functions that are required that you were hired to do it's just um, all the like additional like little things that were added on after that may be difficult or something. Yeah, I think that that depends a lot on the size of the company. It's like as yeah. as, you know, Miss Claudia mentioned that like a mom pop shop be like I would think it'd be easier to tell them just say it's up like you know me, I had a concussion last week and now I'm not the same the okay and they could be they oh could be jerks and say get out, we don't need to but like at least then you have a legitimate complaint but um but if it's like a bigger corporation and then i think there be that would be that would be that's where it'd be a bit tougher and if they don't have, if it's not if it's medium size like even if it's big and the good hr you can go to and talk to stuff about that but if it's like medium size and they don't have a good hr department or they're just new and they don't really or they're young and not much to, you know experience it then then it's hard to then I can see how it would be very difficult to manage who to tell and how to how much to tell and level level of honesty you want to get into, get into and stuff. So, but yeah, I think it's not really even like a level of like honesty because it's like I don't know like you don't need to tell them like absolutely everything like you that. Need, one no, you don't need to. No. Yeah, like it's but you're not being dishonest. By no, you're not. That's 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 no, but like that's just a leak. That's not being dishonest, but um, no, I know it's not being dishonest. I think no. I think what you were saying a bit like the whole like it's about like HR's experience with all that stuff. Yeah. that's definitely big. Um, like whether they've dealt with it before, whether they know anything about um, accommodations and reasonable accommodations and disabilities, or, or willing um, to don't willing to learn. And if they're open. willing to learn, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, and I guess like everyone just on both ends, like the people with the disabilities need to be, um, need to like have access to things to like help make them more aware of like what is like, what's their right. And then the like employers also need to be aware of their responsibilities and like the employees rights and the limitations yeah. of things that they can request. Cause someone had said like, their employer like sent them on like a goose chase for all these things and they still didn't give them their accommodations so yeah, yeah it's i don't know more it's definitely 
Yeah, it's definitely a battle no matter what you're going to go through because not only were you injured, but now you have to like educate everyone around you and do all this emotional labor to like let everyone know like, hey, look at me, there's something wrong. (laughs) And like, and then lucky you're like, don't, then the lucky you're like, to to stop looking at me now. I don't want want to be the focus of this, but that's that's another part of anxiety. And uh, definitely a hard, uh, a hard balance to find for sure. Um, but I think uh, Claudia's talk was really informative, and I think it was really, really helpful. Um, I definitely learned stuff. And you're going into workforce not this year coming, right? Next year, you have another year left of uh, university. Next year, but I'm gonna end up doing grad school. Oh. Yeah. I won't be done school for a long time. I I'm going all the way to the end. I'm getting a PhD in the end is the goal. Oh yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm I just just want to stay in school forever. <laughs> Good plan. Not I really don't. I really really don't. <laughs> all right. Uh, so thanks to Nick for helping us do this, um, and thanks again to Claudia for uh, being our guest speaker. And thanks, Aaron, for joining me and Nick. Uh, we'll have a new podcast posted Monday morning. Our upcoming podcasts can be found on concussiontalk.com, Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can find more information about our group on concussionmtl.com. Our peer-to-peer support group is free and open to everyone. We hold four weekly meetings on Zoom. Uh, one of them is in French, uh, and we will link them into in the description. Thanks for listening. Head Check Health bridges gaps in concussion care through simple, powerful technology. Join organizations like the Canadian Football League, Trek Factory Racing, the Canadian Junior Hockey League, Eastern Washington University, and Volleyball Canada who rely on Head Check to improve communication and optimize care. Visit headcheckhealth.com for more. Music at the beginning of this podcast is by Ben Sound. www.bensound.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.